0: What a summer, y'all. I feel like um, it's blown by. August 15th is an extra week. Do you believe that? If it wasn't for that, we'd be done next week. This is gone by so quick. This time is flown by, and for me, I think, um, what's up? Yeah. Oh, Oh, fan Sam, living in San Francisco, just visiting, right? You guys here for a wedding? Oh, awesome. (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Here's the thing. It's been so crazy to get to this spot where at the end of the summer, the room is like whittled down to so many fewer people than were here on the first week. For various reasons, travel, some people not feeling well, um, all kinds of things. And it feels like every single week, you know, just there's a little bit of like movement and, and things that's happening. And then we're trying to find the momentum with both churches to be able to say, hey, here we are coming out of COVID, reengaging, reappearing. what the next and the new and the future of our churches is and um, you get to the spot where you start to realize like it's not going to happen because of a priest's word. It's not going to happen because of a series like this. A summer long series is fun but it's also just a summer long series. It's not going to happen because we have great uh, programs that are happening. The whole point of the time that we've been spending has been centered around the fact that we ought to be devoted to Jesus and that as the church, when we're devoted to Jesus, our devotion looks like this. We didn't want to give you all some idealism and say, oh, so now we're going to start doing exactly what the early church did, Acts 2.42. In fact, we're naming our church, Acts 2. Like, you know, we didn't do that. But we do want to say, hey, these are essentials for those of us who are devoted to Jesus. These are the vital signs of the church. It's time for check-up. And the reality is, is that we've been calling us to a place of saying we kind of need to return, don't we? Sounds like. I need to repent. There are things that I feel like God has called us to in the last matter of weeks. that if you were just taking time to try and apply this to see, you, got enough for the rest of your Christian life. you <laughs> don't the need of the sermon. You got enough for the rest of your Christian life to apply and to uh, walk in. So far we've looked at the worship and the fellowship of the church. We've looked at what it means to be devoted to Scripture, to be devoted to prayer, to be devoted to one another, to be devoted to the table, devoted to generosity. All those things, though, are internal. They are the internal affairs of the church. And guess what? It's not all about what we do up here. Or even if we have scattered We're doing it in our homes, whatever our clusters, our huddles. It ain't about that. If we're not careful, I think, to give as much weight to the end of our passage, verse 47 is where we'll be today, Acts chapter 2, 47. If we don't give as much weight to 47 as we do to 42, then we present an imbalanced church. It would be a lopsided view of what the church is if we just say, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. That's one-sided Without verse 47. Read it with me. They were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's good news. Yes, they gave steadfast and full attention to the word, to the prayer. They were really excited about Fellowshipping and partnering with one another and eating together. All these things are true, but they served a greater purpose. God did not use that to establish a great club among them, He used it to establish His church in the world. Listen is not accomplished if we spent all summer going through the devoted series, y'all, walking through this passage and we miss. That the first century church wasn't just so preoccupied with sharing their goods and worshiping that they forgot about sharing the gospel and witnessing. Mission not accomplished if we get really excited about worshiping and sharing the good, uh, the goods that we have, and being generous towards one another, and forget that it's all about witness. The most important verse in the book of Acts: "I'll battle you." If you have a different one, then Acts 1 and 8. The most important verse in this book is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the thesis of the whole book. That's all it's about. And from the time you see Acts 1 8, Forward throughout the book of Acts, it's dominated by one overarching dream. So we don't get to see that because we've just been talking about the same thing over and over. Acts 2:42, Acts 2:42, Acts 2:42. But the book of Acts is this: we the expansion of faith through missionary witness in the power of the Spirit. That's what the book of Acts is about: we the expansion of faith to every tribe, tongue, and nation, boy, woman, girl, you know, men. No matter what the age is through a missionary witness, being sent into the world with good news, in the power of the Spirit. You say, you're going to have power of my witnesses. By the time we get to Acts chapter 2, we see the power of the Holy Spirit. Really? God, do see that? You got to know Peter. At the end of the gospel, Jesus going to the cross. He scared to tell, about, tell, talk to, about Jesus to a little girl. But well, we got to this place because Peter just pre-saw everybody from all around the world about Jesus. The Spirit is the only difference. The Spirit taking over a person and calling them to the place of sharing the good news, Honestly. Today, really just tell us that the Holy Spirit filled community living all radically transformed in worship and praise and sharing, doing all that they were doing, were witnessing to the grace and mercy of God. And because of that, revival kept all going. Revival broke out and it just kept growing and growing and growing. Let me just say a couple things and then we'll look at some observations from. This faith. God is a missionary. You probably know a missionary. Some of you are born in missionary homes, and maybe you like myself consider yourself to be a missionary. Sure. But God is a no the missionary. Okay? God is the one who has sent his spirit out into the world to pursue his people. God is the only one with a mission, his mission has a church. God is a missionary. His Holy Spirit that fills all who believe, is a missionary spirit. Okay? And so it should make sense then that the church empowered by the Spirit, uh, by the spirit is a what? Missionary church. Exactly. Acts 2 and 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's what I want us to see for today. Jesus wants you on the front lines of mission, not necessarily on the front rows of the church. Okay? He doesn't want you to be a really close observer. That's not important. Jesus wants you on the front lines of mission, not necessarily on the front rows of the church. Ours is into great. <laughs> All right? Lord, help. As we look at these observations and just ask, God, that you give us grace to understand these things, Holy Spirit, change us, conform us, convict us. I pray, God, that these observations this morning would just be those that, even though they may um, cause us to realize that we are unworthy or we don't meet standards, that there would be an invitation, God, yes, challenge, but an invitation to come and step into what you're calling us who. Right? this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the first thing I want us to do is just look at three observations of mission in the early church, right, from this very verse. In fact, this is three observations on the mission of the church. What were they doing? Okay, it's all good. They did this, they did that, but that's a narrative. Which means that it's descriptive. It's not necessarily prescriptive. If you want to say it's prescriptive, I'm down if you sell everything and give it to me right now. I'm, I'm with it. But the truth is that that's not what it was saying. It's not saying that so then every Christian has to go and sell all their goods and give it to you. That's not what's happening. It was a description. But Led us to this moment. 3,000 people came to faith because Peter stood up, empowered by the Spirit, and said, You crucified the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But God has determined that you can have salvation in Him if you repent and put your faith in Him. And thousands of people come to faith. And then after we get through hearing what that looked like and how they dealt with all the craziness of now having thousands of people come into a church and do things totally different than what had been being done in the religion around them that they had grown up in, then we find more of what that was all about. Three things I'm going to talk about come from the end of verse 47. The first thing is the Lord added to their number. Emphasis on the Lord. The Lord added to their number. The Lord himself did. Jesus added to his church. God is the one, again, with a mission. His mission has a church. He creates the church. He adds to the church. He brings people to saving faith in Jesus Christ and regenerates them, makes them reborn He definitely used the preaching of the apostles. He definitely used the witness of the early church. Yet, he did it. The Lord added to the church. That's very important not to make. should also comfort us because that's not only you. Jesus is the head of the church. He alone has the right to admit people into its membership, and to give grace and salvation from the throne of God, right, to say that sins are forgiven. This is essential for us today because I think many people, when they come to talking about the mission of the church, or, in other words, evangelism, good news in people, preaching, whatever it is, Many people, when they talk about that, they talk about it so man centered. It's like the way you got to do it, what you got to say, how you got to say it, here's a formula. They talk about the effect of it, almost in like your triumphalism, right? we just going to go. We're going to conquer the world with this truth, 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 and we got to tell. It's like, man, that's not really what's happening here. All I see is just <laughs> I see 50 people. By faith, do things that they are afraid to do, and God does stuff that blows them away. That's what I see in the Bible. I see Peter like, oh, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I don't know what talking about. Little girl, to hell with you. He said that to me of our God in Christ. Get out of here. Three times he denied being Jesus. Then all of a sudden, this is the spirit of God changes few people. Sometimes we talk about mission and we talk about technology. All of us have been really excited. I think I've said that, that multiple times about how when the church went online last year at COVID, all these, this one platform, all these people made decisions to follow Jesus. But now all of a sudden, there's more gospel preaching online. I think it's great, but we can't relegate the mission to life. So it's not, I mean, the mission isn't like, uh, now all of a sudden, it's just in the box of, so got to put it out on uh, the, the website. And the, this, crafty new way to play with the algorithms. You know what I mean? Like that's not, that's not it. We can use all the technology. We can use all the methods. I got saved by the way of a master. I, I'm just being real with y'all. Somebody asked me, do you think you're a good person? Yeah. I ask you some questions to confirm that? Sure. Have you ever lied? Yes. What does that make you? Me. No, if I lied to you, what does that make you? A liar. That's how the truth started to set into my heart. It's so, like, whoa, then I realized like, I well, off a whole formula. But Jesus saved me through that, and I grew up around the church. Right? So we can use formulas, but we should not relegate the mission of the church to that, thinking that, oh, when we do it right, we're going to be able to win people for Jesus. No, the truth of the matter is, is that the Lord adds to the church. Just be faithful and be honest. There's no strategy in the world that's powerful enough to do what needs to be done, which is to raise dead men to life. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. When people become part to Jesus and committed to one another, God uses them in miraculous ways. To lead others back to him. Second point, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Really two things at once. He added to their number... Those who are being saved. Here's what I want us to see from this. He added to the number those who are being saved, means he didn't add them to the church without saving them. Whatever you know about cultural Christianity doesn't exist in the Bible. In the scriptures, at this early spot even, where we see it's like all messy and it just started, there's really no such thing as like, oh, you could be down with this but not down with them. You could be down with them, but not down with them. That, like, oh, you know, I know it. Actually, says <laughs> he added to their number those who were being saved. Salvation and church belonging, church membership, inextricably tied together. He didn't save them without adding them to the church either. There's no pool, isolated. I do it on my own, and I don't need the people of God Christianity in the Bible either, y'all. No cultural Christianity where you can just kind of give a the effect and do whatever you want. And there's no, like, on-too-cool for that Christianity, not in the century. Salvation and membership belong together. We got church growth strategies these days that try to be like the whole evangelism, the mission, how we grow our church, and how fast we can do it, and the ways we can do it. The real church growth strategy, according to the Bible, is as a result of God saving people. How does God save people? Through the good news about Jesus, or something else? Come on! All right, I can tell I'm stepping on toes today. Fine. <laughs> He, lied. he added to their number daily, y'all. He added to their number daily. The sense of this wording is that day by day, he kept on adding and adding. The early churches evangelism or mission and their witness wasn't this occasional activity. It was a way of life. And it grew out of their devotion to Jesus. They were devoted to Christ. They were devoted to those things. Devoted to all the things that looked like, "Hey, yeah, I really want to worship Him and be with His people." And God used that to bring about revival every single day. This is their devotion to Christ in worship, devotion to the church, in their fellowship was daily. Right, so they're attending the temple daily, they're breaking bread, they're selling their goods. It's a daily thing of relating to God on a regular basis and to one another. All, the witness was also daily, and God used that to bring people to faith day by day by day. Now, if you are honest, but I have to be honest with myself this week, here's what you have to ask yourself. Why is it that we don't expect God to show up and show out like that in our life anymore? Okay, why is it that we don't expect God to show up and show out like that in our lives anymore? Why don't we think He can do that in our community? Why do we often look at three thousand souls added to the church in a day and think yet, but not here though, not in a post-Christian or a post-modern society? No, I mean it doesn't work that way anymore. Why? The Lord's arms short by those things? If the Bible is true and the gospel is really the power of God and the salvation for all who believe, then the problem lies with us, not with God or His good news. The problem lies with us. The good news ain't old news. The church is not irrelevant. Maybe the church is spending too much time trying to be relevant and keeping up with good news. Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe. Just maybe. I think that would absolutely explain it. Devotion to Jesus produces a worshiping church. Nobody wants to argue that. It produces a unified church. Nobody wants to argue that. A generous church. Some of y'all might have some issues after last week. I mean... It was all in my pockets. It's a thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars a month for me. That kid, child thing, right? So he's like, "What you wanna do with your money?" I'm like, "I'm going on vacation, dude." So so some of us really have to really wrestle with that. And I think on this issue, too, on the missionary side, on the mission side, we don't realize that, okay, a spiritual church is a missionary church, and that includes me, not just the person we send money to overseas. That that, that includes across the street. That includes my neighbor, my family, my friends, my enemies, whoever they are, my coworkers, whatever. Like, literally, I have the spirit in me, and that's what God wants to do through me. Started to see earlier. The Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. So a spiritual church is a missionary church. Plain, simple, easy. I think that can be a hard pill to swallow when we look around the evangelical world though. When they are looking at Barnabas recently, some Barnett's fast I share with you announced that they have a personal responsibility to share their faith with others. Seventy-three percent of born-again Christians says I don't know what the other one's force that you believe, but for the large majority of us, let's not get too judgmental. Here's why. When that conviction was called into practice, the numbers shift down dramatically. 73% yes, I have a responsibility to share the good news of Jesus with others. 50% say they actually did that in the last year. Less than a third say they did that in the last six months. Only a deplorably low number in the last 90 days. That's why it could be a hard pill to swallow because if a missionary, I mean a spiritual church is a missionary church, but like we're not on mission with Jesus, we're more concerned about like where do we need, do we have to wear masks or not, what time is it, I don't know. I don't like the evenings, I don't like the mornings, I don't like groups, I, like I want it, online. But if we're more concerned about all that stuff, but we don't ever really like, Lord, hey, the song you sang about the presence of God, I want that too in my life. Go with me today, open up the doors for me to be able to go and share your love with people. And then look for those opportunities and do that. Then I think we're missing the point. I, I, I show this stuff in love, but it's just real. I think even more important for us than like the evangelical numbers that could be a hard pill to swallow, is we just have to ask ourselves, is my life devoted to Jesus' mission this way? How many of us have shared what we believe to be the best news that we've ever heard that changed our lives and our eternity with somebody this year? Ask yourself, really ask yourself, can God break out revival around me? Or is there literally nothing for people to come to believe because he's usually got nothing to say in relation to God and the kingdom? Because you typically don't lead much of a different life than they do. Are you noticeably devoted to Jesus, or do you kind of just seem to be leading the same life as everyone else? Ask yourself. Do people know exactly how you feel about the vaccine? Have you been vocal about your support or your opposition to the governor or the president and talking about your allegiance to the king? an unashamed devotion to him that includes a devotion to mission and evangelism. Sharing the good news with other people. And Paul said he's not ashamed because it was the very power of God unto salvation for all who believe. That was Jews and Greeks, religious and irreligious. It didn't matter to Paul who was listening, only that they were listening. Unashamed, not ashamed. Some of us need to get honest. Some of us have allowed fear to lead the way in this area and not faith. We're afraid, a little bit nervous, scared to be those people. So we make all kinds of excuses about, no, well, I actually think it should go this way. A lot more subversive and kind of if we can get around to it. talk to others about God, not like the things that really bring it off, right? the no, saints just thinking about bringing up God with that person right now, there's somebody you can think of. It's like, so next time I see him, just like talking about Jesus, like, I don't know. Some of us need to be honest because if fear is leading us, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Others of us need to confess that we are just plain cold-blooded. Like, it's just it's just real. We don't really care to share the gospel with others because we don't really care where they spend eternity, especially if that affects how they spend their time with you here or not. Like I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not really concerned about that trying to keep friends here. I don't care about women's families for the future. I care about friends today. And so, I don't think about their eternal destination. I don't think that people, literally, if they live without Christ and die without him, are separated from him forever. They have to pay for their own sin. when Jesus already did that. So, he us, y'all. God doesn't want anyone to tell us. He said, we should want to tell everybody about the good news of Jesus. <laughs> If we really believe that what he did for us is good news, it's not good news. Romans ten, verses thirteen to fifteen, you've heard it. Proves that God wants every wants no one to perish, right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise the Lord. That's true. We ask the question How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how will they believe in him on whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Newsflash You've been sent in and called by the Holy Spirit. He sent you how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. This is it. I mean, like, this is basic stuff. This is supposed to be a fundamental moment for both of our churches. And it's also meant to be, yeah, we need to repent. We need to change our mind about some things. We need to, about faith, and go back in the proper direction because we kind of lost our way. So how can we recover a devotion to Jesus or a devotion to mission? and try to speed up here. Our first one is just repent. If you're writing notes, you're going to six things. How can I do this then? Repent. God's so definitely been calling us back to him, back to a devotional. Question is, are you listening? Repentance is a gift. It is not a bad word. That is a gracious word. It is merciful of God that he allows us to repent. Time and time and time and time and time again too. Because he's so gracious and so compassionate. Second thing is pray. Jeff modeled that with the kids. Ask God to increase your love for him and for your neighbor. God, increase my love for you and my love for my neighbor. the point. The next point on the sheet is obey if you want to get ahead. But here's the reason why I didn't want to start with obey. Because I would never want to communicate that it should or it even could be a cold hearted, that cold blood I'm talking about obedience. Just do it because this is what I'm supposed to do. So I'm going to go ahead and sign up and do this thing. I'm going to go out and just tell people, no, no, ask God to give you love. Ask God to give you compassion. Compassion will crowd out a cold heart. Compassion will steal from your inside and move you to what meet needs that it's like, man, I don't even know why. I care. I, I know. I, I mean, I just care. I love this person. I love them. Ask God to do that. To first give you a love for him. The devotion to loving your neighbor. The greatest type of love that you could ever do for your neighbor is not pay their phone bill or mow their lawn, though those might be great things that get you to the point of being able to tell them God loves you. God loves you. Matter on the gospel, it'll help you get there, all right? Um, Next one is obey, I say that. We look at Acts 1-8, right? Acts 1-8 came on the hills of Matthew 18, uh, Matthew 28, Matthew 20. After he said, go to the ends of the earth and preach the gospel to every creature, make disciples of all nations, he left us to do it. He left us with the spirit to do it. I'll be back when y'all get the job done. And for 2,000 years, it's still going on. Let's get after it. I know we've mentioned it, and I know some of us have memorized it, but are we obeying the Great Commission? Ask yourself. And then ask God again for they help you do it. Force, commit yourself to the church. The Great Commission and disciple making is a community project. You cannot do it alone. You're not meant to. He saved the man a church. He wants you to belong to a church. He wants you to be a faithful, inextricably tied member of a body of people, not to kind of just be out there like, I'm doing my own thing, isolated solo. Commit to the church, y'all. It turns out. That something that everybody is talking about, revival, happens in the context of something nobody wants to talk about, church membership. It turns out that revival happens because people are committed to each other in the church. Not because you just go out and you become like, oh, man, Billy Graham's my hero. I'm going to go do what he did. Stop it. Commit to the church. If you do that, number five, make time. I say this all the time. If you look at Matthew 28 and you look at Acts 1. Our job is to make Jesus' last words our first priority. Make time in your life to be about the mission of God and sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. Actually, make time and take time to share the gospel with others. Build things into your life that give you an opportunity. To demonstrate the love and the mercy of God towards undeserving people, which leads to my last suggestion to you. Do good. Number six is to do good. One of the things that's clear from the New Testament is that hearing the gospel is about declaring the good news, but also demonstrating it. Right? We say life and lips all the time. It's what I practice and it's what I preach. It's both and. Do good, y'all. There's a short phrase, right, that we don't spend, or we didn't spend too much time on today, that I think that had a tremendous impact on the effectiveness of the early church's witness. It's back in verse 47. They were praising God, but they were having favor with all people. What do y'all think gave them such a good reputation with everybody around them that people just wanted to hear what they were talking about? we were good people. They did good in their community. They weren't like, oh man, screw us. Everybody else is going like, we got kingdom in the embassy. I don't have to submit to this and that's not, what is that? I don't know what that is. That's not discipleship to Jesus. Do good, right? I mean, literally. They have favor with all people. That just means this. They had a good reputation in their community. They had favor with everyone around them. They were thought well of. They had formed good relationships with high standing people and with marginalized people. How did they cultivate those relationships? In many ways that came out of their devotion to scripture, yes, but not only in words, but in the way they lived. They were devoted to the apostle's teaching And Jesus told them what to teach. And Jesus taught them the things that, I mean, we could read the New Testament page after page, but really, he said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, and you're going to fulfill the whole law. Right? They did that. And they had a good reputation because of that. We've been talking about kind of this like kingdom without a king thing. What's the kingdom without a king version for us this morning? Well, simply put, we become insular. It's all about this. If you're part of a life, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out, but where are we going to be in two weeks? And that's all you can think about. That's all you're going to maybe care or concerned about. What are we going to do after this? Because we become insular. We focus inside. Or we create a us versus them. Christians versus the culture. Fast, not biblical. Not, I can speak for the elders at That's not what we're doing. I can speak for the elders that arise. That's not what we're about. We want to be good in culture. It's a suggestion. Not trying to, but can I pastor you, exhort you for just a brief moment. Somebody needs to start laundry love back. we got a damn the quarters in the drawer right now. You can start this week. Because I was in there looking for a charger one day. It's like, wow. Oh, yeah, they did a laundry load of block bangers. they are you doing in this facility? Like, where you just walk out of headquarters with a bang of money and go pay for some people's laundry. Somebody needs to do that. Take the elders up on permission, budget on a monthly basis. Jesus didn't have a home, but he was the most hospitable person there is. So you don't have to have, like, a big enough house, big enough table, great enough decorations. Hospitality, open yourself up and all that you have to people who need it and watch God do it. Watch God work with them. There's the reason why I'm insisting on these things, because God told me to. Titus 3, 1 and 2, remind them to be ready for every good work, to avoid quarry, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. He goes on and says, we ourselves were foolish, disobedient, we were led astray, 30 draws, 30 draw, 30 draw. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and we hated one another. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us, but because of his great mercy. Titus 3, 1 through 5, verse 8 says, Insist on these things. It says, insist on these things. In fact, it says, be careful. No, I want you to insist on these things so that those who, may, who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing good works. That's why it's a humble suggestion, but I'm talking on that one. Do good. Find some good you can do in the community. Some mercy you can do. Forget about politics. Avoid quarreling. Forget about mass mandates and whether or not this, side or the third is open or should be open. Avoid quarreling. I don't get into arguments with people about that stuff. So I tell y'all all the time, where I'm at, I don't have a problem saying, oh yeah, this is where I'm that. But that's like not the thing in my life. It's not a life-dominant thing. I had to get all kinds of vaccinations to go to somewhere. I probably didn't need all that stuff, but they said, in order for you to go, here, you're gonna take it. Okay, I will. I don't have any restrictions on me today, so I don't have a vaccination doesn't mean that I have a problem with it. doesn't mean that I'm for it. I'm just am saying that's not what my life is all about. Devote your life to Jesus. And avoid quarreling. And, and, and commit yourself to doing good works. Remember the gospel and what has happened to you. And allow God to lead that to say, yeah, I used to be a slave. But now I'm free. God saved me because of mercy. How can I be merciful, Lord Jesus? How can you use me? Let's get back, let's get back, let's get back, let's get back. Zaria Butterfield, she wrote this autobiography called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And um, it's her story of being a professor, English professor, and how she ended up in the Christian faith. For nearly a decade, she lived in this openly lesbian, like I said, openly lesbian activist, and so while researching the religious right and their politics of hatred against the queer community, she wrote this article that criticized the evangelical organization called Promise Keepers. Some of you guys know Promise Keepers. And Ken Smith was a pastor of a Presbyterian church in Syracuse, and he wrote to her regarding her article and invited her to dinner. Her friendship grew with the Smiths, she says. And it led her to reevaluating all her presuppositions about what all Christians are like. Two years later, if you're doing the math, they had a friendship with a lesbian activist who hated Christians for two years around their dinner table in their home. Two years later, she came to Christ. And guess what happened? She lost everything except for her dog. She wrote another book called The The Gospel Comes with a House Practicing Radical, Ordinary Hospitality in Our post christian World. She said these two things. What did God use to draw a radical, committed, unbeliever to himself? He used an invitation to dinner in a modest home from a humble couple who lived out the gospel daily, simply, and authentically. She said Christians are called to practice radical ordinary or radically ordinary hospitality to renew their resolve in Christ. Too many of us are sidelined by fears. We fear that people will hurt us. We fear that people will negatively think about us, negatively influence our children. We fear that we don't even understand the language of this new world that we're in. We don't know how to talk to people. Least of all, we feared the people, or not least of all, she says. She says we long for days that have gone by, and our sentimentality makes us stupid. Her last line: We need to snap ourselves out of this self pitying reverie. The best days are ahead. Jesus advances from the front line. Well, the first thing I said, I want you to learn from today. Jesus wants you on the front lines of mission, not necessarily on the front row of his church. Do you believe that? Get on the front line of mission with Jesus and watch him do things that will explode categories for you. Devote yourselves to good works. Practice radical hospitality. Open your mouth and tell people, about the good news that you have. Forget all the bad news. It's not our business, per se. Let's just pray. Let's pray, amen. God, we are just so um, convinced that we need your Holy Spirit in order to do these things. We need your spirit in order to see revival happen. And we know that we need revival in our hearts way before we need it in our earth. You've got people everywhere, a remnant that have never bowed to me. you. We don't need to be concerned about worrying about what, quote unquote, those people are doing. We need our hearts to burn against for you. We would be so unashamed of the gospel. We just tell it, tell it, tell it. Open Open our places up. Invite people in that are not just like us. We do some good works in the name of spreading the fame of Jesus. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that we're convicted today. I hope nobody feels condemned and nobody is guilty, but all of us walk out of here. Victory. We really believe that, and we really need to return to you, and we really need your help. I pray, I pray, I pray, God, with that that's where we are. would you fill us, we know that you call us to be filled. It means to just walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to be close to the Spirit, not to drift off on our own. Lord, you don't need us. When it comes to money, finances, relationship, you're there with us all time. But our hearts are so prone to wander. Would you bring us back again, Spirit? Revive our hearts, renew in us a spirit that overflows. Even if we're in the valley of the shadow of death this morning, just be reminded of that, that it's present. And it's- And his difficulty and all those things, but overflowing so much. Your grace, your mercy to us and through us, not just us. It runs over, it washes over on others, God. Help us to be those who just cannot keep it in. God, we constantly pray that you would show us what you're doing, where you want us to go. Let's pray that we would. We'll be seeking it out and making ourselves available to your mission. Seeking your kingdom in all its life. In Jesus' name.